Matter of fact, I have to warn you, as uh, we kind of embark on this section that starts at verse 10 and goes through 22, uh, it's violence. <laughs> it's a torrent of violence, and it's vented out on false teachers. And it comes from God's Word. As a matter of fact, it reads... Uh, the one Anybody who reads this, it almost leaves you breathless <laughs> after you're done with it. I mean, it's you have these blasphemous... Uh, people who teach error and uh, seduce people's minds. And as Peter writes this down, as he is inspired by God's Spirit, we see that um, uh, he is putting it down seriously. Uh, matter of fact, I think there's probably no more, no statement more shocking than what we see uh, that uh, where this title is coming out of, where it says, but these like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, uh, that is rather shocking, isn't it? Captured and killed. If we ask the question, why has Peter exploded on these false prophets this way? It sounds like he's judging. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, is that Peter, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, is a shepherd. And the shepherd has to watch out for the sheep. And so he takes it very seriously. And so he realizes there are false shepherds who are bringing in poison and trying to destroy the flock. So that's the reason he speaks so what seems to be very harshly. Uh, but he has to do that. And I think whenever it's time to discern, whenever somebody is damaging or actually killing the flock, something has to be said and done. And he certainly does that. Uh, J.I. Packer wrote a book back... Oh, it's been quite a few years now, uh, probably 15 years ago, called A Quest for Godliness. I don't know if you've heard of that book. Have you? Yeah. Uh, it's really about the Puritans. And John Owen had a lot to do with that. Uh, G.I. Packer was highly, uh, I think, um, impressed by John Owen. And he quoted from him quite a bit in that book. But uh, he said, uh, Pastors are responsible for rebuking heresy and defending truth lest their flocks be misled and thereby enfeebled, if not worse. Biblical truth is nourishing. Human error is killing. So spiritual shepherds must guard sound doctrine at all cost. And then he quotes from John Owen again, it's incumbent on pastors to preserve the truth or doctrine of the gospel received and professed in the church and defend it against all opposition. This is one principal end of the ministry. And the sinful neglect of this duty is that which was the cause of most of the pernicious heresies. You like that? Pernicious heresies. And errors that have infested and ruined the church. Those whose duty it was to preserve the doctrine of the gospel entire and the public profession of it have many of them spoken perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Bishops, presbyters, Public teachers have been the ringleaders in heresies. Wherefore, this duty, especially at this time, when the fundamental truths of the gospel are on all sides impugned from all sorts of adversaries, is a special manner to be attended unto. End of quote. John Owen took it very seriously. The Puritans took it very seriously. That was happening at their time in the 1600s. It was happening in the 1500s. You can back it up all the way to the very first century as Peter wrote this. As we see, it's very clear. Um, 
people would, I think, today say, well, you know, we have to be tolerant and, uh, you know, that's their way of belief. We shouldn't be jumping on to them. We see that whenever there is such a thing as uh, what is described in this section, it must be brought forth. So that's what Peter's getting at. You look at the first chapter of Second Peter, and you see nothing but encouraging summons to uh, confirm your call as being in the elect. Remember that? And uh, you know it, it talks about God's power and, and that He gives us for godliness and, and the faith that uh, He's given us. Then you go into chapter 2 and you see a really bleak portrayal of false teachers and how God takes that so seriously. The main point of this chapter is that false teachers... And anybody who falls in line with them, is enticed by them, that goes with what they're bringing forth, uh, they will end up in condemnation and destruction if they be unbelievers. So this chapter really intends to do it in a very negative way. Um, But yet, we look at chapter 1, it was really positive, wasn't it? And he comes and balances it off. If we're not following him and our election is not sure, uh, then we need to be uh, watchful and be aware, uh, be in the business of confirming that call and election. But so we uh, we looked in chapter two already. I guess how long ago was that? Was that a couple of months ago? We were last here on the Bible study. December eighteenth. <laughs> December eighteenth. Wow. That's <laughs> it seems like seems like ages. Yeah. Anyway, um, the first ten verses was about uh, the heresy of the false teachers that introduced that whole thing, the moral heresy, uh, their actions, how they lived it out, uh, how they despised authority, and and uh, that by the grace of God we're so free in Christ we can just do whatever we want. And as it says in uh, what is it Romans six one, Paul asked a question. Well, should we just sin that grace may abound? And that's really is what they were teaching. Uh, you know, if you're you're saved by grace, then you're free. You can do anything you want. Well, there is a truth to that, but there's another sense that um, if you are belonging to God, as we sang that song, uh, we want to be holy. And these people are quite the opposite of that. And He will hold people under punishment to the day of judgment. And we'll see in this section tonight that there is a willfulness to sin. They have pride. They have self-sufficiency. It's money. It's sex. It's uh, The teaching is just exposed here. And so Peter's warning about that, what their motives are, what their characteristics are. And then finally, uh, the last state is worse than, uh, than the first that they were in. So, if you're in for really, really good news here and something bright and uplifting, the sun shining, um, it's not necessarily that kind of chapter, but uh, it's the Word of God, and we'll see how depraved these guys are. First section is uh, 10 through 16. These are characteristics here, the way we're dividing it up. I'll try to have our outlines next week. I didn't have it this week. I was actually prepared for it. I just didn't bring them. I ran one copy off, I think. Verse 10. As a matter of fact, it's in the middle of verse 10 where it says that they are daring, self-willed, 
They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with a voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them a freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. That is rebuking. So, Peter didn't hold back anything because the Holy Spirit didn't hold back anything, and so he pinned this down. And that kind of thing was going on then and it goes on now. It's been going on throughout the ages. You can go all the way back to Genesis and look at it all the way up through Revelation and up to our time. It's, it's there. I think the first word, um, or actually, uh, says daring, right there in the middle of verse 10. Literally, they are darers. Uh, it's it's a noun. They're they're brazen. Uh, they're they're audacious. They defy God. They just defy. They're daring Him. They they have no restraint. Pretty serious word. And they're self-willed. Uh, an an abge, uh, adjective there. They're obstinate. Uh, they're doing for their for their own. They're stubborn. They're very arrogant. Self-willed. They're, they're determined to do things their own way. And uh, nothing is going to stop them. It's like an atheist that claims to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, yeah, they're just using it as a game. To come inside the, inside the church there. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Uh, revile there is um, blasphemeo. Get our word blasphemy. Revile. Um, utter disrespect. Total disrespect for these angelic majesties. That's kind of an interesting term. can be taken in different ways. Uh, 
More often than not, I think if we turn to Jude, it might help us. Zechariah 3 2 still could be different, and, and it's okay, but um, um, many will usually say that this being angelic majesties are the ones that would be. Uh, when, when you think when you think of angelic majesties, you, you would think of good angels, right? But in a sense, it may not necessarily be good angels. It could be the demonic angels. Uh, the word there for uh, angelic majesties or majesties is the word doxa. Does that ring a bell? What does doxa mean? This is translated as glorious ones. Yeah, glorious ones. That sounds like that could be a positive, upbeat, and it could be. There, there's a two ways to translate this or uh, to interpret it. Uh, whatever it is, they definitely are reviling these angelic powers, the the, the supernatural here. Um, you can say, well, glories, doxa. Usually, you think of God, you think of Christ, you think of the very glory of heaven. Uh, but this could be kind of on on the backside of that there's a supernatural world out there. And um, that's, uh, I guess you can say, that has a, a dignity of its own, the transcendent. They're more powerful than people are, uh, whether they be angels or demons, right? They're much more powerful than that. Um, if we were to look at verse, just go back up in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, there we know we're talking about bad angels. No, no doubt there, right? He didn't spare. There was a judgment, whatever that may be, right? He didn't spare those angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, Tartarus. Um, anyway, uh, we know in that sense they're reviling these. If it be that way, they're reviling these uh, these angelic creatures, and they're saying that false teachers are so brazen, so um, so cocky, <laughs> so self assured, self confident that they they revile whether they be good angels, whether they be bad angels. Uh, they're they're arrogant, and uh, they they have the uh, the audacity to do that. Was something much higher. They have no respect for him at all. If we go to Jude, it might help us there a little bit more. In uh, Jude, uh, verse 8 and 9. And he's doing the same thing as Peter is here. Talking about the false teachers. And in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties but Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronouncement against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So there's Michael the archangel who has more power than, uh, let's say, a demonic being, or we're talking about here uh, the devil, right? He could have, He could have said, some things to him, spoke to him, uh, saying, I rebuke you, right? But he didn't do that. Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you. So he's speaking to some... You know, it's just like you can have leaders in a country. They may not agree with you, may not even have a belief in Christ, but we're, according to Romans, uh, we are to what? To respect our, our government, right? Our, our leaders, 
there's still that respect that God has given us. There's a submission. There's an authority. Uh, even uh, demonic beings, if that be the case, and in Jude, uh, I think that's definitely what that's leading to there. Uh, these men reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Same kind of thing. Uh, and then he goes on about the Michael, or the archangel, uh, along with the body of Moses. And then you can say, well, what is that? Because we don't really see anything else in Scripture about that. Uh, so what, what is he referring to? Um, Judas, or uh, Judas, Jude, is referring to uh, a Jewish story and he knew what it was. There was the assumption of Moses, the, that story in which the devil argued with Michael of what was going to happen or who was going to have the right to uh, an honorable burial for Moses. Uh, he had murdered the Egyptian, if you'll know. And, of course, Satan is saying, you know, I have the right to do something with his body. Uh, rather than rebuking the devil directly, Michael then appealed to the Lord to rebuke him. Michael, you would think, would have the right to do that, as powerful as he is. And you know what happened in that story? The devil fled so that Michael could complete that burial. Thomas Schreiner, who writes the New American Commentary, made a note on that. We don't know whether Jude thought the story was historical or he was just making a point here. Whatever it is, Michael the archangel did not dare bring a reviling rebuke even though it sure seemed like he had the right. And I think in our times we have people going around casting out demons, uh, rebuking anything and everything that comes around the corner and yet you have a passage here that says Michael the archangel doesn't even go around rebuking um, the devils and demons because the power that Satan has, the power that demons have, uh, their authorities and such. Look in Zechariah uh, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. You see the same thing happening there also. Um, Zechariah back near the end of the Old Testament, right? Uh, pick it up verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And that possibly could be who? Could that be the, could that be the pre-incarnate Christ? The, the angel of the Lord. Anyway, the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That's what the devil does. He's slander, right? Accuses. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? So there we have um, the Lord in the sense, the one who is to do the rebuking. Uh, as you have Joshua, the high priest, and, and Satan there. That's what the Lord said to Satan. So these daring, arrogant, false teachers thought they were more powerful than Satan or any angelic majesties, if it be that in that sense, and we think on the positive side, doesn't really matter. They we're talking about powers here. And... Uh, they had no qualms about doing that. They hadn't today either. Yeah. The false teachers of today. Yeah. They would not hold back. Yeah. How does this work out when Jesus sent the seventy out and they were casting out demons? How does that 
Well, I, I think in that sense there, of course, he gave them that power and a, and a command to do that. The, the very same thing that he was doing. And, and, of course, you know, in the sense of people going, you know, you have, where in the book of Acts, you have some people that were wanting to do something like, there was the seven sons of Sceva, and you might remember that as they were trying to do it. And, of course, what happened? What uh, it, it turned into a worse situation, didn't it? In that sense, they were given the authority Jesus gave them the direct authority to do that. Yeah. But just to aimlessly go out and um, to talk to demons and, and uh, be reviling them and such, I, uh, I would say I think one would want to be really careful on doing that in regard to what these passages are talking about. It's the Lord's business to do that. He's our commander. He's the commander in chief, you know. Of course, if we see it biblically, where that is to be done, that's another thing uh, where that authority is given. But um, I think that's that's how arrogant these guys were, though. They wanted to take and uh, something that was not ever given them to do and try to do something to uh, these powers that they couldn't. Talking about the glories. Um, you think of the impressive power that Satan has. The enemy, the demons, the demonic world is very powerful. Uh, so in that sense, you know, Satan is called the ruler of this world. We know God's in control of all things, but of this world at this, at this time, you know, John 12, John 14, he's not in any sense as glorious as God. He doesn't really have that kind of glory, that kind of weight, but yet the power that uh, he has uh, is impressive. So there is that sense that that's what maybe those uh, words angelic majesties could be. Yeah. I don't think we should ever fear the devil. You know, we don't have to fear him. You know, we've we've won. We're on the right side. Christ has done His work, but we still have to respect the power that God has given. The, the demons and Satan, because if God wanted to take that power from them now, He could. But He uses that for many reasons. Many reasons we don't know why, but we know that they're they're definitely uh, being used by God. They're just pawns of God, really, aren't they? So we we don't have to fear, but there is a respect sense uh, of that of what matter, angels have been given. A matter of God, there that we don't. We're not granted that understanding. Right. Yeah. Uh, Human beings are uh, not as powerful (laughs) as angels, demons, um, even though we we have the power of the Holy Spirit, but yet we have our things that we are to do and not to do. (coughs) Kind of an interesting passage, but there you see it in in Jude and you see it in 2 Peter. Matter of fact, Jude kind of goes along with 2 Peter, especially in this section we're at tonight. We might be referring to Jude several times. Uh, the next one is um, uh, verse 12. Um, but these like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct. He's talking about the animals that are born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, essentially. Um, verse 12 adds that the false teachers are like animals in, in two senses. They're, first of all, they're utterly ignorant of being able to speak. Animals can't speak. And False teachers are ignorant of what they speak. Their reviling is like a, a wolf that howls at the sunrise. And second, animals are going to be destroyed. Um, and he's saying 
they're going to be judged. They're going to be destroyed like, like the animals. They'll come to an end and there will be a judgment. The howling is going to be silence. False teachers are howling today. <laughs> I think it's very obvious. They're howling, but they will be uh, silenced. Their spiritual pride will be zapped. And I think it's a good verse there for all hunters. I, I like that. Uh, you know, anybody that's against PETA, <laughs> their, their thought uh, when it talks about uh, they are creatures of instinct to be captured and killed. <laughs> Ultimately, that's what you think of uh, those, especially those kind of animals that, uh, I'm not talking about pets here, <laughs> but, um, yeah, unreasonable. Uh, they, were, they were not controlled by uh, them. They were uncontrolled. Well, they're, they're, they're controlled by their feelings. Well, you're talking about unreasonable animals. You're talking about one that's getting in places it shouldn't be, and that's why its family killed and dealt with. Because yeah. it stepped out of its boundaries to what it should be. It's destroying like livestock and stuff like that. I told my grandson, but yeah, you can kill an animal only for two reasons. Is it a threat to you or it's a meat source? You know, right. Now. Right. Yeah. You want to use those in the right way. Right. Um they're like a bunch of animals following their lusts. And of course, he's, that's where he's getting into in this section. Um, look in Galatians. and Galatians 6. Uh, 7 and 8. Everybody is familiar with this. Do not deceive. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So you reap what you sow, right? That's a principle all throughout Scripture. That's a general principle, and I think that's what's being said here as he's saying that like uh, animals uh, being captured and killed, what's going to happen is, as he says it in the next phrase, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. So if they continue that practice, ultimately they will be uh, judged and uh, taken care of by God because they follow their own, own lust. That's, that's what's going to happen. So um, whenever we see things that are unbiblical and things that are just horrible in the name of Christ, we may not necessarily be able to do anything about it. We hate it when things uh, make Christians um, look bad uh, under the name of Christians, the guise of Christians, but um, here's here's the truth. Here's what will happen. You want to be careful and watch out for them that you not be touched, but uh, the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Um, Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. There's our Galatians passage again there. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. What's going to be their wages? They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Now that is incredible that people would do things in the day like they would do in the night. I mean, they would do it all day long. There's no restraints in these particular evil teachers. Uh, if they lived in our day, it'd probably be on the daytime talk shows. You ever seen any of those? Whew. Some of the things, strange things that are happening in families and such. And you know, in Roman history, you usually think of the Romans. You know, and and this was what this was the world that Peter was in at that time. 
and even the Romans themselves, a pagan Roman society, they frowned on daylight debauchery. I mean, even them had some kind of respect. You don't do it in the daytime, but do it at night, you know. <laughs> you don't want it any time, but I mean, they they just constantly be doing it any time. It didn't matter. To the Romans, that was a sign of a low life. That was that was just the epitome of, of the worst, a low-level wickedness. And so here, that's what he's saying there. Um, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Their stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Boy. Well, that kind of parallels with um, the social acceptance of gay marriage. And I mean, uh, that's coming out uh, in the daylight now. Gay marriage and, um, you know, all those other things. In the church. Yeah. I, and and the, I put, quote, church. Right, you know. right. Uh, of course, one of the first ones to, to give in on that was the Episcopalians. And uh, now other denominations are falling right in line with that. They're lining right up with what the world is. And the world used to hide some of those things. And now they're, I mean, it's in the daytime. It's broad daylight. Everybody's seeing the evil wickedness in front of us. Who? The, the Pope. Where, what's his stance on uh, like homosexuality now? He's against it, but he says the church, the, the church, his meaning the Catholic Church, should place less emphasis on it. One of these days. It's interesting that an atheist country like Russia is frowning on what America is doing, which is exactly what this is saying. The pagans were frowning on, on the Americans. Yeah, that's that's sad. Yeah, as we offer money to uh, certain uh, third world countries for abortions. That's going to be the sin that brings this country under his judgment, I think. I really do. Abortion, abortion me especially because I, I think we are too specific a lot of times in things like this. Uh, I see this uh, reveling in the daytime uh, as in front of the TV camera lights yeah. and millions of people standing and applauding and receiving. You know, it's not something done in the dark. It's not something that's evil. It's something that the whole society is applauding. It's, it's good. It's good That's they call what? Evil good. Well, not, not that it's evil even. But there's so many of, and I'm not going to name anybody, but of the TV pastors that are preaching your wrong gospel. Hmm. Like they fit in here. Oh, yeah. And they attract thousands or millions of people. You betcha. And the church, the true church, is so undiscerning about what's going on. We don't condemn them. We just kind of accept them and ho ho. They're they're a little bit wrong here, but you know they're okay. part of the body of Christ probably, and that's not what the word says about them. Peter wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, that's exactly what he's saying here, isn't it? I think it? we need to. We need to be more discerning in our, ourselves in what's going on in the world around us. 
Well, Peter wanted them to be discerning. And I think that's a key, key term to be thinking about all through here, to be really discerning. It's not like, okay, we're going to fall into that trap, but we could very easily do that because everybody else has accepted that where ten years ago they wouldn't have. And it's like, uh, what, the frog in the boiling water? Yeah. That's so true. Uh, that's Peter is, boy, I mean, he doesn't hold back anything here. Uh, he says um, uh, they're stains and blemishes. They are stains and blemishes. Reveling in their deceptions. Uh, it's the idea of, of dirty spots, defects, uh, filthy filthiness, uh, scabs, uh, pollution. They're dirty, they're foul, they're diseased. And that's, you know... Uh, what else can comment there on that one last part of verse thirteen? As they carouse with you. Oh. That's the church. <laughs> you and them are together. And not even recognizing Peter knew it. Uh, look in Jude twelve. Take note of what's happening here. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water. I'm going to stop there. The idea is what I'm trying to get at is in your love feast, when they feast with you, and going back to what we just read there in Peter, where it says where they're carousing with you, now, that word carousing means eating feast with you. Jude is saying the same thing. It's like, uh, the, you know, the, the love feast? Have you, you're familiar with the love feast, right? The, when the church would get together before church, they would have actually food and they would eat. Of course, a lot of people were misusing that. We see in Corinthians about you know the Lord's Supper and such and they would keep back the food from other people coming in who didn't have anything to eat at all. But they, they had these love feasts. They were coming in and with them and they were having this fellowship, eating together. And these particular people, we see how, what? debauched they are. They're carousing with them. They're hanging out with them. They're they're um, eating the feast with them. Uh, it's like an all-church banquet. And these are spots, they're blemishes that they should have discerned. They should have known that these guys are not identifying with uh, biblical thought at all. Uh, these men are um, people who are... are they're what they're full of adultery, it says in the verse fourteen. Uh, they never cease from sin. So you think of uh, like in First Corinthians eleven twenty one. He says, "When you meet together in your suppers, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk." So there was the Corinthian church, and you remember the rebukes that Paul had on the Corinthian church every chapter. And he had to address them on that. So when they were meeting together, people were getting drunk even. Do you remember that? 
and people were acting in a real gluttonous way, and it's such a devout situation, and it probably being led to these, uh, by actually some of them leading this, were the ones that were the filthy spots, that were the blemishes, the false teachers that had come in there, and they were doing it with them. And so it's not something that is going to happen or could happen, but he says, as they carouse with you, as they are feasting with you, as they, as you're fellowshipping with them, as you are going about your time that's supposed to be with the Lord, right? So, anyway, that's pretty eye-opening. And it's eye-opening when it says they have their eyes full of adultery, never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. So you see the uh, the lust, we see the greed here. The idea here is that these false teachers, they looked at every woman as a poten- potential candidate for to go to bed with. I mean, that was the whole idea. It's interesting, a lot of the false teachers that have been caught, let's say, radio or TV, uh, famous worldwide, and you find out they've been involved in adultery. How many times has that happened? You go, whoa, that's right. They lust for every woman they see. That's what these teachers do. It's a dominant kind of of sin that they have. It it becomes impossible for them to even look without lusting. That's where they were at. They were driven by that lust. Yeah, Barb, did you have a comment? I was just going to comment um, in that verse that you may not have gotten to yet. The the scariest thing to me in that verse is they entice unsteady souls. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you think of, I think of how hungry I was when I first became a Christian. I am just so thankful I fell into the right kind of teaching. But I probably could have very easily fallen into something else. And, it happens. Yeah. It surely does. Yeah. And I've seen some people that really got messed up in uh, cults, and that's exactly what they did. They enticed them, and they had them so tricked. And they were really wanting to know what the Bible said. Well, let me show you what the Bible says. Of course, these are people who actually deny the deity of Christ. Let's say they believe in Christ, but you get to the deity, you get to all the basic fundamentals of the faith, whether it be hell and virgin birth, you name it. Um, They didn't agree in any of that. But they enticed those people in. Yeah. Drop down to verse 18. Uh, here they're speaking out... Uh, I'm just skipping a few verses for a moment. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice... Here's how they do it. By fleshly desires. Hey, it's okay. It's a good thing. By sensuality. Those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. So it seems like there are... Is it possible for true believers to really get led down that road. It looks like these people barely escape out of that. Uh, Unsteady souls. Unsteady. Uh, Barely escape uh, from that that error. And that could definitely be new converts or it could be somebody who's 
on the verge here. You know, they're really close. And they love to get um, those kind of people. Well, it's a strong admonition there. That's why it's so important to ground ourselves into the very truth of God because so many people have been taken down that road. And that is, Like you say, anybody can be swept down. I sure almost got taken. I look back at it now. How could I have been so stupid? But well, I look at it now and say, okay, well, the Lord definitely used that. But uh, yeah, I, I, on my own, I could have just been taken by a couple of different cults coming right to the door. And the stuff that I was watching on TV is horrible stuff. What in the world's wrong with me? <laughs> I needed the truth, didn't I? <laughs> and the Lord finally sent some people to help out in that situation. God but took care of it. Don't focus on the word barely. Focus on the word escape. I mean, if you've escaped, you've escaped. You're out of Whether it. Whether it's by the skin of your teeth, as I said, yeah. or whether it's not, you've escaped. Yeah, and if you're the Lord's, He'll make sure you escape somehow, don't He? But be a warning, right? Yeah, Bob. Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Which chapter? Matthew 13. Okay. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed Mm. in his field. But while his men were sleeping, an Mm. enemy came and sowed weeds among the weeds Mm. and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in the field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them, <laughs> let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. There will be false believers in, in the church. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, in, in recognize being identified with the church. Right. Yeah. It, but I guess what. What I'm saying, why this reminded me of that, all we're talking about here, is that, and what Eldon was saying about discernment and or lack of it and these sorts of things, you know, it, Jesus is telling us this is the way it's going to be. And, you know, and so, you know, that's why there's so many admonitions in the New Testament here about be vigilant and be on your guard and be always watching and be. You know, studying the word. Be, yeah, you know, be get grow up in Christ. You know, all these things because it's it's going to be like this. It's going to be mixed. You know, just like Israel was mixed with a mixed multitude and all these things. So, uh, just making the point that that you know, even Jesus said that's what the kingdom of God is like. They will come in amongst you. I mean, you have constant teaching on this all the way through Scripture. And and I think it's meant really as far as what you see working out in this is that, that, you know, and and I think Scripture speaks to this too, that, that, um, you know, the real believers will rise like cream to the top, you know. uh, And, you know, and, and he'll protect us too. Protect us. I think the reason that you 
you want to say it, barely got out or anybody, Barb said, you know, I barely could have got disease, or I could say that about myself. Well, but God had it all worked out ahead of time. He He was going to make sure that, you know, that He brought us through that. And now we have a testimony to speak about it. So, you know, and we will sure God always makes it good. Yeah. What do the false teachers do when they come to this verses on false teachers? <laughs> Talk about the guy down the street. Yeah, yeah. Talk about always... Dennis Helton and that great community church. What did you say? What they do? I said, what do the false teachers do when they come to the verses about the false teachers? They point to you. Yeah, that's what I just said. That Dennis Helton down the street. Yeah. They're not. They're not false teachers in their mind. Yeah. To everybody else. The truth, and you don't know. Yeah. And you're the false. I think what's uh, what's interesting here, do you see that one phrase uh, in verse 14, near the end of 14, having a heart trained in greed? Mm-hmm. Trained in greed. You know what the word for trained is there? It refers to athleticism. It is. That's exactly what it is. When the, the word is this, Gum nodzo. I'm going to take this nodzo out, okay? It looks like gum, but U and Y in the English sometimes, you know, you, you will see that as far as vowels are concerned, especially. And you have gym. And you're talking athletics. That's an athletic term there. It's it's uh, training. Trained in greed. They actually work out. They work at it, yeah. Exactly. They work really hard at doing this. Uh, they worked out to get their hearts shaped for greed. And that's like the Jehovah's it's, Witnesses. That's what they teach them to do. When they don't have church, because my next-door neighbors, when they have meetings, and in meetings they have homework, and that's what they do each time. They, they're very good apologists. Mm-hmm. For know, their particular for verses, particular, right? Yeah. They really get them down on those yeah, verses. and they memorize those, and they learn those. They don't go to church to worship. They go to church to learn how to huh. how to go door to door and yeah and, they, and their leaders have taught them that it is by works that they'll be saved yeah or you know yeah it's always works yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah always works so no, that must, 
the greed that plays into greed because they want they're greedy for that. You know? They they pump it up. Frequent workouts. They pump that up and get even more greedy. You know. Um, They've actually trained and prepared and exercised and equipped their minds, like Christians should be equipping their minds and doing all that, but their hearts are to concentrate on nothing but what they desire. That's really what it's about, what they want for their own desires, and that's sin at its ultimate, I believe. Uh, you know, we've come to a point that's probably a good place to break off because it's um, dealing with Balaam. What a great example that is. You guys are probably familiar with that, Balaam and his donkey and Numbers 22 through 24. And uh, why don't we just pick up with that next week. And uh, I think we pretty well did point one tonight. But that's a long section, but it all just kind of flows together. But, uh, boy, God... Uh, definitely is telling us to uh, not only watch out, but I think as you guys made it very clear, I think it's good that we need to speak out on that. Stand up for truth whenever it is challenged by uh, anybody who would stand against God's truth. Right? Yeah, Nick. Well, I just wanted to say that I finished recently Strange Fire by yeah. John MacArthur. And, I mean, I, I knew that the charismatic uh, organization and all that was totally wicked already on the surface, you know, but that book goes deep into it and it exposes it like you'd never believe. And, I mean, if, if it really sent out a battle call because the... It, it's very urgent. And, and the millions of people that are flocking underneath these false leaders, just like the people we've been reading about. Yeah, just exactly the scripture, exactly what and, it looks like. Uh, being devoured and. You know, are they preaching the gospel? That, that yeah, book is really good because it counterbalances with the right thing compared to the wrong thing. Yeah. Well, tell you what, we will continue on.